he is a serious psycho. He is the guy who shits on society. He is the guy who records 10 hour long mixtapes of himself screaming, I shit on society, I shit on society. Do you shit on society? Maybe. I have shit on society a couple of times. Welcome back to the Unreal Podcast. Then it's first, and in my somewhat Africanized opinion, foremost podcast on transgressive fiction, internet culture, and everything on 4chan that's actually good. But today we're doing things a bit differently. This is the first in what I've been considering doing for a while now, and only have had the free time to do recently. Many sods. That means half the time, and half as many people. So today, it's just me, your host, L.A. Labashane. And as always, I am joined by something to drink, smoke, and, well, I'd say snort, but uh, snuff isn't a particularly becoming habit. It's also a waste of money, and the high wears off really, really quickly. So instead, I'm being joined by the return of Policeman Coffee which is coffee with a shot of alcohol of your choice. It's dark rum today, as I've still got half a bottle of it in my fridge. Well, technically the freezer, because I'm too cheap to buy an ice tray, but, you know. Word of advice with dark rum. In fact, light rum. Or hell, brandy. Vodka, if you're, you know, fucked in the head. One bottle of vodka, one bottle of brandy, two two two-liter bottles of Coke. That's, for our American audience, about a gallon. Because, you know, it's, it's a one-to-quarter ratio. Of course, you know, if you throw in your coffee as well, it, it slightly skews it. But then again, I am told you can drink Coke neat. Never done it, personally. I'm, I'm really more of a Pepsi kind of gal. But, you know, you can do it if you have to. Or so I'm told. So, cheers. Today we're talking about African Psycho. That's right. African Psycho. Not the novel that everyone since your mother has been caring about and has torn up, you know, America. Not American Psycho, no. Not the famed biography of Patrick Bateman. We're talking about the biography of Gregoire Nabokamayo, the African Psycho. What is this book, you may ask? This book, basically, uh, hell, it's kind of hard to explain. It's, it's on one hand, it's a murder mystery. On the other hand, it's in another contribution to the series, what my standard co-host, Rhyme slash Davis, and I call Chudcore, i.e. books about men who hate women, and more than that, are willing to do something about it. This thing is typically violence and derangement, and you know, Chudcore isn't just misogyny, it's also a harrowing investigation into the mental health of the modern-day man, and as well, sharp and painful critiques of society. If you saw the Joker movie, you know what Chudcore is, and this is it written down. And it isn't just that, because, you know, that's just a book. Hell, that's just R9K. African Psycho, what I found so fascinating about it, and why, you know, I decided to make the inaugural mini-sode about it, is, well, it's African. It's Africana. It's not to be confused with Afrikaners, very different people. It's Africana, Congolese, French Congolese. And I thought, oh, hell, it's not often that you get you know, a decent book out of Africa. Well, it, you actually do get quite a lot of decent books out of Africa, but it's not often that anyone fucking hears about them or posts about them online. I mean, people are still talking about things fall apart. That was, what, 60 years ago? Where, where's, where's things fall apart too? They're putting things back together again, in I mean, okay, granted, things fall apart did have sequels. They're pretty mediocre, but that's my point. It, it, it's all, so much of it is mediocre. And so to see a book that you know, really takes you by the throat and slaps you around a bit, you know, degrades you and says, now this, this is Chudcore. It's quite nice to see. And African Psycho, to me at least, was a very good attempt at that book. I'm not going to say it's the definitive 
example of fucked up African guy with mental health problems and bad relationships with the woman in his life, but it is definitely a strong contender. Specifically, it's about Gokua Nabokamaya. In an effort not to have to pronounce that again, we're going to call him Greg. And truth be told, he is a bit of a wimpy kid. Specifically, you know, Greg was an orphan, he's now a mechanic, and his goal in life is to become a serial murderer. I mean, at least he has a goal. How many of us can, you know, really get up and get motivated like that every day? Greg's a self-made man. He, you know, ran away from his foster parents after things and decided, you know, well, I'm going to I'm gonna be a part of the neighborhood. I'm really going to, you know, contribute. I'm going to lean into the shantytown and make it the best damn shantytown you're ever going to see. Builds himself a house, you know, builds himself a garage. Works on cars, works on people. Nice guy and all. But the problem is, bit of an insult. And now we can, you know, debate till the cows come home on whether incels are allowed to pay for sex or not, but let me tell you, this guy, for most of the book, he doesn't get me any other way, and that's because he has a rectangular head. Seriously, he is macrocephalus, which means he has a big head, and in his case, it is uh, rectangular, like a brick. Bricks are, in case you haven't checked recently, rectangular. So are cinder blocks, granted, and, and the bags that maize meal comes in. A lot of things are rectangular, granted, but this guy, he's, he's likened to a brick. And I think that's a pretty good comparison, because the dude, he hasn't got much going on up there. He's got a lot going on up there, but none of it really, you know, ever ends particularly well. And so, Greg, he wants to be a serial killer. And this is really the crux of African Psycho by Alain Mabanku, French Congolese. That's uh, Congolese from Brazzaville, Congo, as opposed to Kinshasa, Congo, which was the Belgian Congo in the previous century. And Mabanku weaves this story about Greg. And Greg, he wants to be a serial killer partially because, you know, he, he feels it's like the only way he can really, you know, distinguish himself in life, or else who the fuck is Greg? Greg is just a guy. Uh, and he's an ugly guy. He's a poor guy. He's not a particularly talented or popular guy. He's just just the kind of schmuck you meet in shantytowns. And so, you know, Greg says, none of that. I am vaguely intelligent enough I am bloodthirsty enough, I've got enough a chip on my shoulder against the people who are keeping the good men of he who drinks water is an idiot down. That's the name of Shantytown. I'll get to that all later. And specifically, Greg just doesn't want to become, you know, any fucking serial killer. He doesn't want to be, you know, the asshole carrying around the point to, to capping people the second they walk out of bars. This happened in South Africa. He was called the saloon killer. Not, not because he shot people necessarily coming out of saloons, though he did, but because he had used a saloon gun, which he had stolen and upgraded from, you know, stabbing people to death. Greg does not want to be the saloon killer. No, he has higher aims. He wants to be the great master Angualima. Angualima, if you don't know, is a true psycho. Now, I think a lot of people, you know, when they read this book, they're going to say, you know, African psycho, Greg is the African psycho. He is the Congo's attempt at Patrick Bateman, and I, I reject this interpretation, partially because it's wrong, and partially because I think I'm smart enough to give a better one. Jury's out on that, but, you know, policeman coffee does wonders for your perceived lack of intelligence. Angolima is the real Patrick Bateman of the story. He's dead for the entire fucking story, more or less, but that does not stop Greg from talking to him. This is a question of, you know, maybe it's magic. Maybe, you know, Greg, this is Africa. Muti is real here. You can do magic. I have seen it with my own eyes. You can strike guys with lightning here. You can be a mutabilist. Anything goes, really. Fuck it. Chop people's arms off. Witchcraft. It, it all happens here, trust me. But maybe it's not magic. Maybe Greg is just a little more loopy than, you know, he thinks he is. 
So I'm not going to sit down, you know, try and head shrink the guy, though he's microcephalus, it wouldn't hurt. Well, partially because I don't believe in most mental illnesses. You know, Foucault says, you know, mental illness, that's, it's, it's a bit of a shitty word, really. Mental illness people are just different, you know, mental ill people just different. We shouldn't call all of them ill. And, you know, I don't really lean into Foucault's understanding either. Namely, as he was a bit of a loser in other regards of his life. But there's definitely something there, and I think, you know, Greg's lucid enough for the time to really think, okay, this is a serious ghost. Anguilima is the ghost. And for context, who the fuck is Anguilima? He is a serious psycho. He is the guy who shits on society. He is the guy who records 10-hour-long mixtapes of himself screaming, I shit on society, I shit on society. Do you shit on society? Maybe. I have shadow society a couple of times. What I have not done is, you know, broken into people's houses and used muti or, you know, juju, or whatever they, they call it in the Congo, to knock everyone out and molest people and steal their stuff and shit on their floor. You know, all, all sorts of mayhem. Decapitate anyone who talks about you. Pretend you have two heads. This is Anguilima. It, it's it's the, my favorite part of the book, actually, is just reading it. What the hell is this guy going to do next? Because, I mean, it does escalate. He's dead, but it's framed in such a way that Greg unpacks more and more of Anguilima's antics and sees how ridiculous this guy is. And, of course, Anguilima is not only just a ridiculous man, he's Greg's mentor. Because Greg, you know, goes to the gravestone of Anguilima every so often, and, and he sits down there and he communes with the dead. And Anguilima, you know, pops out the grave and, you know, tells him, Dude, you're a faggot. Get with the program. Get better. Actually kill people. Greg is, is not very good at killing people. Not for lack of trying, granted. I, I mean... He might be a bit wimpy, but, but he tries, but he does not succeed killing people for most of the book. Instead, Greg's real gripe, and this is really the crux of it, because, you know, I, I read a few reviews on, you know, ideas to talk about. I made a 4chan post or two about this. And one major interesting thing I saw is a lot of people think this book is a murder mystery, because it opens with the phrase, I've decided to kill my girlfriend, Germaine, on December 29th. And that's pretty mysterious. Most people do not decide to kill their girlfriend, Germaine, on December 29th. Me? I've never had a girlfriend. And more importantly, I've, I've never decided to kill them either. And they certainly weren't named Germaine. So, the real mystery then of the book is, you know, why, why the fuck is he going to do this? It's pretty obvious, because he wants to be a serial killer. The question is, how and when will Germaine appear? Because of the first part of the book, I found very interesting, it's an extended flashback sequence, an explanation of, you know, how did old Greg get from where he was as a picked-up child, an orphan, to a guy, teenager, at the mercy of he who drinks water is an idiot, an ascending figure in the organized crime until he, you know, decides to go legit, to this aspiring serial killer with an actual girlfriend. How the hell does he do that? I mean, this guy has no money, his head shaped like a brick, he has a mediocre job, and he's an alcoholic. How does he get a girlfriend? If he can, you can too. You do not even have to kill her, on December 29th, and she does not even have to be named Germaine, I know, it's, it's mind-blowing. So, that is the mystery. Would I describe this book, then, as a mystery? In many senses, perhaps. I would also consider it a coming-of-age story, a uh, building Solomon. Because one thing a lot of people don't realize about coming-of-age stories is, you know, you can come of age in a way that, you know, makes you cool, and you're, you're really kiff, and it's like that one Dickens book I, whose play I performed in high school, Great Expectations. I, I performed it. Very regrettable. It was very liberal nouveau theatre. You, you change costumes on stage. The, the, the drama teacher was from Derby in England. Derby. I'm not going to do his accent. Decent guy, but you know, it's like, 
They're the most random-ass places that people come from. And so that's a coming-of-age story. You know, an example of a dude who comes, and, you know, he's cool, because Kip, he grows up through the book, he learns his manners, he eats his uh, whittles, he learns how to use money, inv- makes good investments, and he, he, I think he probably, you know, gets with his wife who at the end of the book. This African psycho is the reverse. The guy comes of age, as in Greg actualizes into, you know, a person who doesn't want to be a serial killer. I'm not going to spoil it and say whether he is or isn't by the end of the book, but he actualizes. The thing is, he actualizes in becoming more of a fuck-up than he actually was beforehand. And, you know, that's an interesting perspective as well, and I think that's the thing I prefer. Because the mystery is obvious. Obviously, you know, he's, he's going to get a girlfriend because the interesting star of the book said so. But how? We, and we watch him grow and develop. That, that I find is quite interesting because despite the fact that his, this guy's main aspiration in life is to mutilate and defile the corpse of a lady, specifically a hooker, mind you, which I think in liberal parlance is sex worker, though they do not use this. In Congo Brazzaville, at least Congo Brazzaville 2003, these women were caught hookers. They told it like it was. That's his goal in life. And you think, oh, gee, that's not very sympathetic. I've never wanted to dismember any lady, horror or otherwise. And I think, oh, okay. And, you know, it's not. But the fact is that the guy has a good sense of humor, and that's a highlight of the book. The comedy. It, it's a lot of black comedy. And, and, dude, if you live in Africa, gallows humor is your default. Namely, as it's that, or it's uh, building your own gallows. So, a lot of this then comes from the names. Because, despite, you know, after taking some effort and a couple of Google searches, the guy is, it's set in Congo Brazzaville. It's specifically set in Brazzaville itself. He drinks water as an idiot is a fictitious neighborhood. And I think that's one of the things that shines about the book, because it does not necessarily need to happen in the Congo. Either one. Hell, it could have happened in Gabon. I mean, the shittier parts of South Africa could have happened there too. It's an African psycho, and I think it's a very uh, continental book in that sense. The second you get below the Sahara, you're going to run into guys like Greg anywhere you are. That's the truth of it. And so the names like Hugh Drinks Water is an Idiot, The Country Over There, The Paris of the Sand, giving things alternate names at some point, I get it is also a critique on the culture of Congo Brazzaville, and I, and I respect Mabanku for that, even if, you know, I'm not educated enough in Congolese culture to really get the gist of what he's trying to talk about, or at least more than the gist. I mean, complaining about corruption, that's... You're in Africa, you you know what corruption is. But it also means that it's detached somewhat from a realistic concept. The book is a bit dreamlike in that sense, with the fantastical names, the sort of drifting, meandering narration, and the... Well, you know, of course, the magical realism of Angulima himself, because even while alive, he does some pretty ridiculous things. Now, personally, I have never checked on how many cigars can fit in the average vagina, but I, I think it's probably less than 42. But that's like the number of cigars he's putting in there. Things. Quote-unquote things. This book has fun words. I like fun words. And so, yeah, it's an interesting book in that sense. And would I recommend it? Mm, maybe. If you look at it, and obviously take Goodreads with a pinch of salt, because if you know who reads and like actually charts and reviews things on Goodreads, you know to take their opinions with a pinch of salt. But it, it gets about uh, like a three-star rating on Goodreads, and it gets a three-star rating about everywhere else, too. And, you know, I'd, I'd basically give it a three out of five as well. It's an interesting book, and I greatly appreciate it for being an example of Africana that stands outside just screaming, Ah, oh, it's Africa, it's Africa, look, white man bad, black man good, colonialism evil. 
It does more than that. And I'm very appreciative of that because, and this is actually a major sentiment of a lot of Mabanku's works, is, you know, sometimes the, the faults in Africa are the fault of Africans. And we can see this here, that the corruption is largely by native people, the indigenous. And, I mean, obviously, he says, you know, it's not always terribly clear-cut, and I agree, and the book makes a few points in colonialism, granted, but it also critiques post-colonial society. And not just because it was colonized, but because, you know, of the unique idiosyncrasies that the Congolese have and how this colors their nation, such as, you know, why everyone carries around knives. Because it was one tribe's thing, and, you know, when they started stabbing people, everyone realized, oh, shit, look at these things, you can stab people with them, they're great. Or, as you know, the, then the somewhat crabs-in-a-bucket mentality that the people of Hugh Drinkswater have. It has nice things like that. And if you're interested in that, and you enjoy reading Africana, I would recommend this book. Yeah, it gets a bit gory. It gets very explicit in some parts. Uh, a cursing and, you know, the idea of authenticity at once most violent and bestial and degraded is a part of the book as well. And I think it is a relevant theme. And it's something very interesting to explore then by an African writer and, yeah, also by then a black African writer because not all other Africans have exactly been, you know, saddled with the stereotype of, you know, monkey people. So seeing somebody who would have been in historically, and maybe, I don't know about Mabanku, maybe, you know, he was a victim of racism, and I would say, yeah, probably he lived in France. Terrible place, France, never go there. Paris smells like piss. Overpriced. And they speak French. And it's not even like the nice bits of French where, you know, the numbers make fucking sense as they do in African French. No, it's like 420s and 17s. Fuck off. Do the numbers normally. Yeah. So, I mean, looking at that and that internal critique of black African culture is also quite nice to read. So if you think, you know, these things sound interesting, read the book. Simple as that. And, of course, if you think, oh, gee, man, this sounds fucking boring and I don't like Chuck, well, then don't read the book, asshole. But now that, you know, we've got that out the way, I think there's still other... Somewhat relevant ideas, and this is basically me going through the 4chan frame, because I know I've got like another 10 minutes on the minisode here. And one thing that stuck out to me that a few people asked, both on it and otherwhere, is the question of, you know, does being a psycho differ from, you know, Africa and America? And like, I, I still defend my thesis that Angualima is the psycho, and in many ways, if you look what he did, it very closely compares and parallels to the antics of Patrick Bateman, especially the gratuitous stomach-churning, almost violence for violence's sake. Like, nothing can touch me, I am playing in God mode, I'll do whatever I want. Bateman has money, Angulima has magic. And I think in that sense, no, you find the same power-mad people everywhere. And the book points this out, especially dealing with, for instance, governmental corruption, and how... These people are seemingly untouchable, you know, until you beat them in with a hammer, but, you know, you, you can't beat every government official in with a hammer. You, or rather, you personally cannot, you'll probably get shot at some point, but yeah. And on the other hand, you know, there's this argument that if Greg is the African psycho, then yes, being a psycho differs dramatically between Africa and America, or at least between Mabanku and Bray East and Ellis. Because Greg is, I think, the quote from one of the better reviews was a bundle of neuroses. He's constantly talking to so. He has, like, verbal cues. He yells, ah, oh, shit, whenever he's worried or scared. Sometimes multiple times. He's a, he's a violent idiot, but without really the competence and ability to be a violent idiot. And so in that sense, you, you can say, well, the difference is that, you know, apparently Africans just suck at being psychos. No real planning or thinking ahead. And 
there's no understanding really of the consequences or willingness to go the extra mile. Greg is so hyper fixated on the style and the reputation of the actual psychopathy and psychotic acts he wants to commit that he doesn't really ever get to committing them very well. He tries, granted. He almost succeeds at one point, but he fucks it up immediately afterward. So in that sense, we can say, well, Bateman is a more competent psycho. But I think then it's not so much the idea, and the very easy way out would be say, you know, black people just suck at being psychos. Now, personally, I think, you know, everyone has the capacity to be a real fucked up bastard. The difference, I think, is that Bateman, well, one, it's circumstances. You see, Bateman, he's a rich guy, but if you also look familiar, you read a bit more of the B extended universe. Bateman, you know, he's had it easy his whole life. Which means, you know, he isn't worried about, like, oh, gee, when my ne- when's my next meal coming? Well, you know, apart from the uh, booking at one at the Dorsia. His job means nothing. He doesn't work hard. He has everything basically handed to him on a fucking silver platter. Of course, he has the time to, you know, perfect murdering people correctly. And even then, he still messes it up a few times. And we compare this to Greg who actually makes a more, far more conceited attempt, well, concerted attempt, to be a nice, reasonable guy throughout the book, actually shows some real, you know, human compassion here and there, which he attempts to dismiss as, you know, I'm just going to kill them later, and then he never does, or he fucks it up, or he agonizes over whether he'll be even able to, he's grown so attached to them. And, you know, he works hard, he's a self-made man, he's an entrepreneur, he built his house with his bare hands and the aid of a few builders, he says. So in that sense, I think it's also a discussion on, you know, circumstances. What makes and enables a psycho? And the poverty, well, the crime committed by people in poverty is going to look very different to crimes committed by people in wealth. Even when you see they still have the same sort of end goal of shitting on society. And I think that is one of the stronger arguments Mabanku makes is this parallel between American psycho and African psycho, which is, you know, fucking unavoidable given you called your book African psycho. And that was definitely something that I found very interesting, is looking at how is it different being a psycho there? Because we see Angwalima, he has magic. He has complete anonymity. And he has complete disdain and disregard for literally everything else. He shits on society. He hacks people's heads off if they talk about him. He hacks people's heads off if they impersonate him. Major plot point of the book. So, in that sense, even... I would, I would refute the idea that, you know, it's, it's because he's African that Greg is a shitty psycho. It's not. It's because he's poor that he, he's a shitty psycho. And because fundamentally, he's not actually psychopathic. He's just a loser. And another thing that I found, you know, with this is also this almost poking fun at European culture and a lot of the things that are associated with it, or rather more truthfully, Western culture. And the two greatest examples of this are the comic books and the guns. Now, Greg does not like guns. That, that's one of the things he really rags on in the book. Is, you know, it's not personal. The only reason you should have a gun is for hunting. Because, like, what do you do with a gun? You kill shit. Knives? Knives are tools. You, know, you can cut food with a knife. You can cut rope with a knife. You can hack through the jungle with a knife. What, what they probably call a panga. Or a machete. Or, hell, if you're from the Caribbean, and I know Davis actually is, a cutlass. But knives? I mean, you shoot guys with guns, and they're dead. Knives? You know, knives are multi-tools. And so this side, I think it's also symbolic of something that's very clear to the African mindset, the hustle. This is true really in all of Africa. Resources are limited. You've got to make do with what you got, so one thing's probably going to serve more than one purpose. If you have a car, you don't just have a car. You have a taxi. You have delivery service in many cases. 
And the same thing with knives. So why would you have a gun unless you're going to hunt with it? And hell, even if you hunt, you can set snares. If you don't have much, you really have to be more practical with what you have. And I think that's a great parallel between the Western and African mindsets, because we see, you know, in American Psycho, Bateman does shoot a couple of people. Granted, he uses pretty much every other tool, weapon, and rodent under the sun to torture, but the actual gun murder is some of the most striking parts of the book, and it occurs at the climax. In comic books as well. Uh, granted, I read American Psycho in high school, and then I saw the movie in one side in college now, so my memory of whether Bateman actually ever reads a comic book is kind of fuzzy, but he does obsess over pop culture, and Greg does as well, but whereas for Bateman, these are like things he interacts with. These are like the fundamental building blocks of his reality. It is like Huey Lewis in the news. For Greg, when he's reading, you know, Asterisk and Oblux, he's reading Tintin, and he's reading the other franco Belgian comic books, he's thinking, well, this is a fantastic world. This is completely detached from my concept. This is alien. It's almost like this fantasy adventure and mythological heroes. Even when, to a Western audience, these books would probably be far more grounded. Even when they do have fantasy elements, it's like you can clearly tell that these are references and coded to real life events. Like asterisk, you know, the you know the Gauls are obviously the French culture and the Romans. You know, you can say they're sort of like American imperialism. And of course, asterisk goes around the world and he talks to a whole bunch of different guys, and they're each sort of like an ethnic stereotype. But you know, for Greg, when he reads this, and I think there's also a very interesting. That a lot of people forget when they're talking about Africa, to us, these stories are a lot more alien, they're a lot more foreign, they show worlds that we're never really sure often if they exist. Of course, you know, some people like me have been to Europe and we discover it's a horrible place and we're never coming back. But on the other hand, a lot of people haven't. A lot of people can't afford to go or simply don't want to. Or would rather, I think in some cases, keep this idea of, you know, Europe being like the mythical fantasy land. So yeah, this idea of the way he handles these almost monuments of Western culture is also a very interesting, I'd say, highlight of the book. And similarly, one thing I noticed is that the highlight, well, the real climax of the book, and I thought what is absolutely the best scene, comes far earlier than one would expect. Because you know with the normal books, climax comes at the end. But in this one, it comes almost halfway through. A little over halfway when there's this phone call. Because, of course, all of Brazzaville is shitting itself about Angolima. This is when he was still alive in the book. And Greg reminisces about this fact that, you know, there's this telephone interview. And you've got a European white criminologist to come in and talk about, you know, what Angolima is doing. And try and psychoanalyze the guy. And firstly, we just have this banger of the quote. They claim to be analyzing crimes. Have they even committed one? What kind of nonsense is that? Excuse my somewhat half-assed attempt at the West African French accent. But that gets across very much Greg's mindset, I think. How how can you talk about this when you haven't done it? He talks about being a picked-up child because he is one. He talks about a mechanic because that's what he does in his day job. He talks about whores because he buys plenty of their services, and likewise with, you know, drink. Let's be myself in that last one. Well, the places I go to don't have funny names. Anyway, he calls the criminologist, because this is a radio show, they're, they're taking calls, and he impersonates Angulima, and he does so very strikingly, which actually 
very well matches the dialogue of the Angualima ghost later on. So, you know, maybe magic, maybe mundane. And it's interesting that to see Greg at his best is to see Greg being somebody else. Because, of course, that's his whole goal in life, is to be the next Angualima. It's to be this deadly serial killer. And he puts this on, and that's the only time that the ghost actually acknowledges that he didn't fuck up. And still, it's not an event that he can really take credit for himself, because he's pretending to be somebody else. He hasn't made a name, he's done the opposite. He's retarded his own progress, and this is when he's you know, at his best. He's most authentic and realistic. He's doing what he wants to do, and he's still in somebody else's shadow. And so I found that to be not only the climax of the book, but it's also the most emotional part of the book. Both we see Greg really firing on all cylinders, but we also see the reaction to it. And everyone is, you know, panicking. Ah, no, it's Angulima, it's Angulima. And curiously, Greg doesn't die of us. Everyone else who's impersonated Angulima, fucking dead, scar on their mouths, on the beach. Captain. But Greg, Angulima goes silent after that. He kills himself. And I think this might also then, you know, be a reason why Greg so idolizes Angulima. Partially, you know, you can always say, ah, it's, it's, it's a father figure, but I think it's more than that. Greg sort of, you know, feels kind of like guilty about, oh shit, I killed this guy. And I'm going to visit his grave. I'm going to, you know, go to the place of the dead who are not allowed to sleep, because that's the name of the graveyard. I'm going to go to the place of the dead who are not allowed to sleep. I'm going to, you know, talk to this guy. Try and get more out of him, because I, you know, feel sort of like a shithead for killing him. Or at least killing the narrative and the myth of Aguilima. And so that's, that's another thing that, you know, I found in the book very striking. Because a couple of good scenes like that, obviously I'm not going to share them all, this is supposed to be a mini-sode. And, you know, also because I do recommend the book. Yes, under the caveats I've mentioned earlier, but I think it's a very enjoyable read, and it's a piece of African fiction that, one, is translated well, which is quite hit and miss, with a lot of, well, Francophone literature in general. And it also gives you a very unique and interesting glimpse into what life is like in a poorer part of Africa. Because, you know, I think a lot of people, especially Westerners, and hell, even some richer Africans, have this uh, very you know, outdated idea that, ah, oh, it's a shithole of mud huts and donkeys. Everyone has cholera, and everyone's pot-bellied and starving to death. The women don't wear clothes, and the men wear leopard skins. No, Africa is urban. Yeah, you get people who still live a traditional lifestyle, and it's got a lot more complex, complexity and nuance than dying of AIDS. But Africa, majoritarily, is urban. There are cities. Brazzaville, and if you can't Kinshasa, it's the largest francophone area on the planet. And so looking at what is urban Africa like, and what is urban Africa changing into? At least, you know, I find this interesting. One, because I have to study it for my day job, so I, I kind of like when somebody actually makes it interesting for once. And two, because I think it's a part of Africa that not many people see, and that's not really written about or discussed. Because it's something you don't really play sympathetically. Yeah, you can talk about how you know shitty the slums are. And you realize, oh, they're people just like us. And they're sort of, on many questions, responsible for the own shittiness of their lives. And in many other ways, other people are, who are still part of the same culture and part of the same nation. And on the other hand, they still do have fun. They have an interesting culture. They have a way of life that clearly some of them, like Greg, and I think through him, Elaine, says, are worth defending. So that is definitely a highlight of the book for me, is the ethos. Reading the book, you feel like you're wandering through the streets of an African slum, which, you know, I've done. Great beer prices there, if you know a guy. You have to know a guy, but seriously, you can buy pretty much anything in bulk beer. Fantastic prices. Hell, even hookah flavor. So that, you just think, well, 
you know, this dude grew up in a hostile shithole, and we can very clearly see how it affects his psyche, but through the, you know, anecdotes of that, and the perspectives and other people he meets, and say, well, you know, it's a hostile shithole, but it's also a place that people live in, and some people choose to remain in, so it's not all bad. And like, uh, and also on this, you know, people ask me, hey, LA, what are your experiences growing up in a hostile shithole? And it's like, uh, you know, okay, I'm, I'm middle class, so like, yeah, I've been in hostile shitholes plenty of times, and sometimes drunkenly wandered into them. Don't do that. So, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't really feel qualified to say. I'm saying, if you want to know what it's like to be in a hostile shithole, read books about people who've grown up in hostile shitholes, and tell stories in hostile shitholes, you know, like, like African Psycho. I can tell you what it's like growing up in the middle-class suburbs of Pretoria, Cape Town, Nairobi, and it sucks for entirely different reasons that are really beyond the scope of what is rapidly not becoming a particularly mini-mini-sode. And so, you do have that, that you find that there is value even in these lifestyles. You know, that brings me also around to this idea on the discussion, you know, of prostitution. Because this is, you know, it wouldn't be Chad Core unless this guy has uh, controversial opinions about women. And a lot of reviewers, you know, slagged on the book because, ah, yeah, shit. They just whine about women. There's, there's nothing new here. We, we've been whining about women for the last three centuries. This is true. But I also think the perspective and his cultural lens on it is one worth discussing. Because, you see, Greg is quite, you know, pro-prostitution. I, I strongly disagree with that sentiment for several reasons, but it's interesting to see his arguments, you know, he thinks, well, these people are fulfilling a public need in society, they're, they're making money, they clearly have a clientele, hell, they pay taxes in Congo, Brazil. so, I mean, why are we ragging off that? He encourages girlfriend to keep being a hooker, even, which is an interesting decision. You say, maybe, you know, is this the Madonna horror complex, that he only feels justified in, you know, killing what he would consider a loose woman? I'd say, you know, no, not really, it's not. There is this idea of that, but we don't find any, you know, presentable women in the book either. Not ones that really, you know, have a major role. He really, on the one hand, is very focused on, you know, like the sleaziest parts of the conga. And it's also because, well, it's not only because, like, the street he lives on is called the 10 francs only street, and that's not the price of beer, it's the, the price of pussy, it's because this plays into another very prominent theme, not only in African psycho, but unfortunately in African general, xenophobia. Because when a lot of people think about Africa, they say, ah, it's, it's racism that ruined Africa. And true, a lot of racism, it didn't help. But the thing is, if you're going to insist that all Africans are black, even the ones like me who aren't, you got to realize, hey, we have tribalism, we have nationalism at, at play here, and both in South Africa, yeah, topical, and in the Congo, you have xenophobia. People do not like people who come from other places. Yeah, this is true in the rest of the world, but it's you know especially true in Africa for you know, several reasons, partly economic and partially because Africans, by a general rule, do not travel. Like my ancestors, the Afrikaans, traveled once. And we still have not lived it down. It's like it's still the great track. It's like the founding thing of our nation. It's the it's the mythology of the people. Traveling. Because, you know, we fucking did it once. A and it created a whole new countries, Several countries, actually. And so it's like 
we, we like staying in the same place. We don't like moving around. And so when we do have to move somewhere else, it's shit. And the problem is, we move somewhere else and it's full of people who also think we, us moving here is shit because we're ruining things, taking our jobs. If you're an American, imagine the standard like Republican talking points about, you know, your preferred flavor of brown people and you get the gist of what xenophobia is. Hell, you even have it between some white people that, what people, what I think Europeans consider white. I'm not sure how racism in Europe works between like Eastern Europeans and Western Europeans. And so you do, you do see xenophobia. And it's a major point of this book. And it's like why Greg decides, okay, I'm only going to kill whores. It's not because, you know, there's a problem with prostitution or really even that much of a problem with women. It's because the people from the country over there, which is depending on your interpretation, either Angola or Kinshasa, come and go, keep coming here and driving up the price of prostitution. Seriously. It's because he's thinking, ah, oh, gee, you know, the, the Kinshasa Congolese come here, and they, they're loose women, who are not only better at having sex than our women, but they will charge more or less, depending on the context, have it with white people, lord it over us, drive our women out of business, and then pretend they're actually from Brazil. This term is completely unacceptable, and you're like, that's the standard xenophobic sentiment. It applies to a lot of other things apart from hookers too, actually, like uh, Uber drivers or, you know, street vendors. It basically applies to, you know, pretty much anything in the informal sector. And I also found that, you know, be a very interesting part of the book thing is this discussion of xenophobia, which I think is, you know, obviously it's a fucking major issue in Africa. It kills plenty of people every year. And it's an issue of urban Africa too. It's outside, you know, the stereotype of, you know, civil wars and people who eat bats and people who don't wear clothes. It's it's something that modern Africa deals with. And especially as somebody who's been a foreigner in Africa is a bit more personal for me too. And having seen friends and family become victims of xenophobia, it's quite striking to then see it played out in the book. Of course, you know, it's, it's personal. It's not going to be an experience that applies to everyone. But the fact that it is written down and it is discussed is another, I think, highlight of the book. But of course, the book has low lights too. The, the pacing is is a bit here and there, and I'd say the ending is a letdown. Not because of how the plot plays out, I think the plot played out very satisfactorily, but because of the execution. It ends abruptly, and it ends without very much payoff. It's sort of like an out-of-nowhere thing. And that's one of the most like mystery novel aspects of it. It's just somehow, okay, the mystery's resolved, you, didn't, you couldn't figure it out, fuck you, here's the story ended, everyone's unhappy. And yeah, tragedy is a fun way to end a story, and I think in Chudkor it definitely has its place. But cheap tragedy never has a fucking place in anything. If something hurts, it should deserve to hurt. And so the ending was an extreme weak point, and the book can also become quite repetitive, especially towards the middle. You know, apart from you know, the phone call, a lot of it is just rehashing all ground, because by that point, yes, Anguilima is the African psycho. Greg wants to be the African psycho. The neighborhood of he who drinks water is an idiot is poor but quirky. And so on and so on and so on. It doesn't reach the, you know, absolutely vile excess of American Psycho, which meant that, you know, yes, you just see another person horrifically dismembered and then you have a chapter on, like, Lady Gaga. But the commitment that B puts into it and really leans into it is far, far more than what Mabanku does. Maybe this is an issue of translation, and if you read the original French, you think, oh, well, you know, this, this is great. The thing is, I don't read French. So, yeah, I read this in English, and, well, 
I found that it fucking dragged, and a lot of people said that it fucking drags in the middle too. And so, it's not that it never got to the point in which I thought, you know, I'll put this down if I didn't have to do the fucking mini-sode. <laughs> mini-sode, we're 40 minutes in. But it does slow down significantly, and a lot of the ranting and raving rehashes old ground and doesn't really significantly develop Greg or the setting much. And that is one of the weaker points of the book. As well is the fact that because the setting in many ways is quite vague, because it's on the one hand trying to do this you know, universal African experience, on the other hand it's trying to be contextual to the Congo, Mabanku very rarely gets the balance right. On the one hand you think, oh gee, this could have happened in, you know, Shoshanguve or Atridgeville or Mamelodi, which are suburbs of Chwane, which is basically the greater metropolitan area of Pretoria where I currently live where things like this do happen. And on the other hand, some points you think, oh yes, this absolutely can only happen in Brazzaville because the allusions to where it is, the name of the river, for instance, well, it's actually a tributary of the river, which made me think this was happening in the DRC, but, like, it gives specific names randomly. And that also is quite jarring to see, or, like, the specific names of tribal people are mentioned. And then you think, wait, wait, uh, I thought this could be anywhere. So, yeah, maybe this is just my interpretation. But also, that is a bit disconcerting and isn't really ever nailed down. Because, again, the descriptions are repetitive. They're comedic and they're fun, but you also think, okay, this is fun, but I'm not really being engaged. So the book doesn't have that much depth to it. It does what it does well, but the thing is, never really hits you particularly hard, because again, you're still with this roadblock of, we have a villain protagonist, and while he is sympathetic in many attributes, because he is humanized greatly, he's still, you know, a villain protagonist, and there's only so much you can do without looking at, you know, excess and antics. So when you're stuck in the guy's head for the whole book, you have to try very hard, and the book doesn't 100% get there all the time. And you can also, you know, talk about, apart from Angulima and Greg, we don't actually have strong characters. Yeah, we have Jermaine, we have Quiroga, the half-caste, and we have, like, the railroad ticket guy, and we have the uh, the Foster family at the beginning, but none of them leave remotely an impression. It's like, yes, they're people, and Greg fantasizes about doing horrible things to them and does some things which are horrible, but not as horrible as he would have really liked. And that's it. There's no real characterization. That way, it is very universal because you can meet these assholes anywhere. On the other hand, you're thinking, well, if I can meet these assholes in my daily life, where's the highlight of seeing these specific ones in the book? And I suppose, you know, if you were the, the target market for this, which weren't, wasn't only the Congolese, but it was also the French, who presumably do not encounter these assholes on a separate day and have, you know, their own unique assholes to worry about, then okay, yeah, maybe it's very fascinating to see this different perspective in these people. But if you grown up knowing these people, you think, well, okay, well, what's the big deal? What makes them unique? What makes them stand out? They're just window dressing. I think this is quite weak, and it sort of takes away from a lot of the shock value the violence could have had, and the emotional resonance that violence could have had, because they're just window dressing. There's scenery. It's like, why do I give a shit if Greg kills these people or not? They mean nothing to me. So, you know, I mean, uh, this, these are, I think, in my opinion, valid complaints. And obviously my opinion is correct because I've been drinking rum for the past hour or so by this point, And therefore I cannot be wrong. But the book isn't perfect. And I think that 
you should realize this going in. You know, have expectations. This isn't African Psycho. Well, okay, it is African Psycho. It's not American Psycho 2 Africa edition. It's a unique book, and in many ways, it's much of a worse book. But it's, I think it's also a different book. And there are other valid comparisons you can make. The first one, and again, an excuse to shill other podcast episodes, Behead All Satans. A few scenes I thought were one for one, beat for beat. I don't think the Behead All Satans guy, whose acronym I cannot remember, actually read African Psycho, because, you know, beating people with hammers is, is a fairly common violent experience. But on the other hand, I thought, it's very interesting to see that mental breakdown, the hallucinations, this idolization of violence from two people who have been, you know, othered and strongly excluded by their societies. And so that's an interesting point of comparison. And I've been told good things about black American Psycho, which is different from American Psycho because the protagonist is black and it's written by a different guy. It's a different book, which I have not read yet because it'll be its own episode. So, I mean, yeah, there are, there are points of comparison there. And I'd also refer to you uh, to, if you want, like, more Africana that deals with, you know, somewhat violent or macabre subjects, My Sister is a Serial Killer by, I think, uh, Braithwaite. Again, very solid Nigeria novel. Again, you know, that's in the fucking name. It's about a serial killer. So if you want more of this, there is some more of it that exists. And I mean, obviously, you know, I'd refer to you to my own books, you know, Sociopath, Prima Donna Girl also. Well, granted, spree killers are different than serial killers, but read my fucking book too and pay me money for it, please. And so, yeah, there are, you know, points of comparison here. And I'm, again, I'm quite glad, you know, as an African to see, we do have books like this. We are, you know, contributing to the literary scene, you know, even if this particular book is a bit hit and miss. I still enjoyed it, and I would read it again, and I would recommend it, you know. Three out of five, worth read. It's not going to be, you know, fantastic. It's not going to be taught in varsities, and I'm kind of thankful for that. But it is a worthwhile book. I think it won, like, one or two awards, or, like, Nabanku, the, the author won awards or something he wrote. So, it's, you know, it's worth your time if you think awards have stock, and if you don't, well, you know... If you think my opinion is stock, well, there you go. And as always, I have been L.A. Labuschagne. I also wrote a book about an African psycho. It's called Sociopath Prima Donna Girl. And mine's a, instead of, you know, a criticism of the, like, crabs in a bucket mindset of people in the Congolese slums, it's a criticism of the uh, feckless idiot mindset that we have of uh, white girls in South Africa. As a white girl myself, I put a lot of my personal experience in this book. No, I'm not going to admit to killing anyone, but I definitely did a couple of things, and you can figure out which ones are in the book. So, yeah, until next time, watch out for psychos. African, American, or hell, even African American. You'll get to a black American psycho next time. Thanks for listening. I may have gone too far in a few places. 